0: Well, I'd say that's a roller coaster week for the St. Louis Blues. A happy Wednesday and welcome in everyone, Alex Ferrario, along with the Joe Vitale, as it is the week in hockey. This week in hockey here on 101 ESPN. We come your way every Wednesday night, the final week of a shortened This Week in Hockey. Next week, you get normal time and you get two straight hours of Alex and Joey. So it's going to be fun, but we got plenty to jam into this hour, including the former voice of the St. Louis Blues Ken Wilson as tomorrow night is vintage night and we're going to talk a little 90s blues hockey with Ken Wilson but first things
1: first Joe great to see you buddy Alex hey I made it I, I wasn't sure <laughs> traffic uh, it's getting darker I was at Brentwood Ice Rink my son had a uh, wanted to get out there on the ice a little bit it was a four to five session and I saw of all people as I was telling Dan Betlock here uh, Jay Bomeester was out there Oh, really? with his two daughters and and he spoke to me more than I think I've ever seen him speak in my. <laughs> entire life. He was out there with his girls, and and they're wheeling around, and my son's wheeling around, and uh, we had a good old-fashioned uh, Sunday skate, I guess, on a Wednesday.
0: Look at that, and you can't get enough of hockey. Jay Bomeyster leaves one rink and goes to another well, one. That's what
1: I said to him. I was like, I guess you didn't get enough this morning, and here he is, bent over, working with his daughter, and and I'm telling you right now, that'll wear on your back. Oh, I, I, yeah. If you've been doing it for five minutes, I'm with my youngest out there, Bodie, and I'm, I'm crouched over, and after about five minutes, I'm like, oh, buddy, and you know, Jay, but he's in spectacular shape. Shape. That's why he's still doing what he's doing. Well,
0: we saw him in spectacular shape last night, Joe. As we heard in the highlight reel, a, a previous week that includes two losses, one regulation, one overtime, and then that victory last night against Tampa Bay. Really a roller coaster ride, but I'd say looking at it all, Tuesday was a prime example of this Blues team where. They struggled in the first two, but they found their game and they got to it last night.
1: Yeah, I agree, Alex. I'd even back it up to early in the second period. I thought they really started to kind of evolve and find their game. And I think like we saw and we've seen all year, teams are giving them a hard push. They're knowing they're coming in. They're playing against the defending Stanley Cup champions. And and the Blues handled that push very well. Jordan Bennington was good early. Uh, Even when Tampa got up in that game, it seemed to be no panic. It seemed to be a slow, methodical approach to get into their game just very, very slowly. And and kind of patiently, and I think this is what this team is all about, just patiently getting to that grinded-out, boring style of hockey. You started to see it more and more in the second period, and then by the third period, it was almost just wave after wave. Uh, The physicality for me, Alex, that was the biggest thing last night that stuck out. You know, you have Braden Shen running over Kucherov. You, You lose Paquette in the first period through injury, and just so many injuries that mounted up there for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know it's only one game, but to me, it reminded me a lot of what the Blues did in those series is last year they invested physically game one then game two and game three we saw in the San Jose series by game six uh, they, they were like half loaded I mean, most of their stars weren't even on the ice and you, know, you can kind of compare it and bench benched like eight people on a it a much smaller scale yesterday of course but uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning kind of seemed like they just kind of threw in the towel they were tired of being hit You know what's funny, too, is the Blues
0: looked like the faster team. They looked like the bigger team. And maybe this is me reading between the lines. Maybe this is digging too deep. But they didn't have a morning skate yesterday. Mm And we saw a couple of teams do this last year, Joe. But Craig Berube even said today that they're not going to have a morning skate tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's just something that he's trying to do, you know, to try and keep the guys away from the ice every once in a while so it doesn't feel like too much of a workload.
1: Well, you know, the, the morning skate, and for all the fans out there that don't know, yes, the players do typically skate in the morning morning of a game. If it's a 7 o'clock game at night, they're going to come in the morning, have a quick meeting, have a quick twirl around 10, 30, 11, get off the ice, go home, eat lunch, take a nap. Be back at the rink later that night. Now, Craig Bruby decided the other day to go no morning skate, and The reason why morning skates were brought to the league, Alex, as we both know, this is going back 20, 30 years ago where there was no social media and and guys were a lot different back then than they are like the players today. Guys would go out on their Friday nights, go out the night before games, they'd get to Detroit the night before, they'd get to Boston the night before, and these hockey players would just get slaughtered. (laughs) I mean, absolutely ripped getting after it, you know, coming home at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and they would just show up at the rink the next day around 6 to get ready for a game. Scotty Bowman, one of the the, the best coaches and maybe the best coach in the National Hockey League of all time, with the Detroit Red Wings, he said, you know what, if these guys are going to go out all night, at least we want them to sweat it out the next morning. So he implemented a... A mandatory morning skate where guys came in, they sweated out, they woke up, they're not sleeping in all day, hung over for the game the next day. So that's why it came into the game. Now you look at players. I mean, Alex, we see these guys. Yeah. These guys are dialed in. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe there's some some fooling around and going out the night before, but for the most part, these are premier athletes. They know they have to be at the very top of their game in order to survive in this league. So I, I don't see the necessity out of morning skates. And, and we saw it the other night as Craig Berube decided to go norm, no morning skate. The Blues had energy. They were terrific, and we'll see if it pays off again here tomorrow well, night. Well, and
0: David Perron was asked today, you know, do you feel like it made a difference? And he said, no, not really. He said, mm-hmm. you know, of course you're off the ice that day and he said some people actually like to prefer to get on the ice he said he uh, Perron and O'Reilly like to go out there on the morning skates just take a couple twirls around but you know it's not really benefiting them but it is an extra day away from the rink for a team that played so deep into the season last year
1: exactly I think more more uh, than anything Alex is just the routine you know, we us hockey players, we, we just love routine. Right. Any way we can get on routine, it's, it's the pasta, it's the chicken at lunch, it's the morning skate, it's the, it's the flipping pucks to each other. Afternoon and, nap. Afternoon nap. I mean, it's just that routine. And I think players are almost superstitious to the point where that's what the morning skate is becoming. Yes, you're out there, you're getting looser. I actually think there's more of a benefit on the road. Because you travel the night before, maybe you're in a hotel, or maybe you don't sleep that great, and what are you going to do on the road? You're not with your family, you're not with your wives, It's you're just sitting in a hotel all day. Might as well get up and get to the rink, but at home, unnecessary in my opinion.
0: Well, and I had a chance to chat with Zach Sanford today, and you talked with Robert Thomas today, Joey, and the line juggling. We saw it last night, Tyler Bozak with Jaden Schwartz and Braden Shen, Sammy Blay with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, and really the line that I thought had a big night last night was Oscar Sundquist, Robert Thomas, and Zach Sanford.
1: It's a little less defensive responsibility. You know, I think with Orion Perron, we were taking a lot of D zone faceoffs versus a lot of the top lines, which, uh, you know, is is not a problem, but, uh, it changes the way you think a little bit sometimes, I think. And, you know, for me last night, I think especially, I thought I did a pretty good job using my speed. And, and, uh, you know, Tomer's a fast kid, so keeping up with him was fun and, and, you know, attacking on the rush and, and making more plays like that was, was a lot of fun.
0: So basically, I mean, you know, it's a different mindset for Zach Sanford. It's a younger line, but it's a less defensive responsibility line. And we saw the offense break through last night.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say, Alex, before Dan totally cut me off on uh, Zach <laughs> Sam for me. Who cares what Zach Sam threw
0: said? to the audio clip?
1: I mean, who cares what the Blues played? But you didn't know we were going to throw to that. So that's our bad.
0: On See, that technically, that was my bad. Yeah. I like to throw curveballs into our, or I like to throw knuckle pucks into this week in hockey.
1: See, this is why we got good leadership here because everyone's <laughs> taking the blame. This is why I like you guys. This
0: is why we're a team.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, Zach, what he said, and, and to follow up what, what Robert Thomas said is pretty much, uh, to a T is the, almost the exact same thing. And I asked Robert, you know, is there some sort of comfortability level with the fact that maybe you're playing with guys that are as equal to you? And he said, absolutely, without question. I mean, for Zach Sanford, for example, you know, going up there against Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron on your line. Yes, that's terrific. I mean, two of the best players in this, in this team right now, but there is a different sense of comfort when you're out there against Robert Thomas and an Oscar Sundquist, two guys that, are as equal level, maybe play the same style, speed, the youth, the energy, and then you just don't feel like this pressure just to always get David Perron the puck. You know, it's, it's really just like, hey, Oscar, you got to give it to me. If I got to give it to you, you know, we'll just make it work. We're going to use our hockey senses just get out there and play. I thought the youth really came together on that third line great. And then on the flip side, you look at Tyler Bozak. You know, Craig Brewe talked about it. He The Saskatoon line right there. You got three veterans on the line, two centermen. Guys have been established in this league a long time, and again, there's that predictability where they know they're all on the same level, and they're just a comfort level just to go out there and just and just play hockey.
0: It says a lot, too, when Sanford said that, you know, when you're playing with O'Reilly and Perron, there's a defensive responsibility. You know, they're taking a lot of faceoffs in the defensive zone because O'Reilly's one of the best in the National Hockey League. They're a team that rushes from one side of the ice to the other, whereas a Robert Thomas and Oscar Sundquist and a Zach Sanford can be thrown out there in that mid-shift where there's possession for Saint Louis, you know, let's say the the Braden Shen line has the puck and they're cycling and in Tampa Bay zone, Craig Beruby can get those guys off the ice and bring in Sanford, Thomas, and Sunquist and keep the play moving.
1: Well that's such a big part. Of the identity of this team, something we probably don't talk enough about, Alex. But you know, especially in the second period, uh, they not only are grinding out teams down low in the offensive zone, making the other team play in the defensive zone. Yes, that's part of it. But so much of the strategy of the St. Louis Blues is are timely changes, when to get off the ice to send the next group on the ice, where you're going out against a tire group. And to me, that second shift, if they have them hemmed in their own zone, is that Robert Thomas line because you know they're creative. You know they got offensive ability. Maybe not as good in the defensive zone. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Craig Brewey doesn't trust a Zach Sanford or or a Robert Thomas as much in the D-Zone. But if you can get them on a good change, especially that second period, if that line's been out there for Tampa Bay for 30, 35, 40 seconds, and here comes Ryan O'Reilly back to the bench to change, that's that Robert Thomas line. That's the Oscar Sunquist line. Zach Sanford's. those are the guys that go out there and hopefully with their offensive ability, you can take advantage of a tired group.
0: One more point before we take our first break and come back and talk a little Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, Troy Brower, we saw Jamie McGinn get released from his player tryout contract. His day was up today of that 10-day window. Tomorrow, Brower's is up. Do you expect to see a contract, and why do you feel like he's the uh, a good fit, Joe?
1: You know what? I don't know if we are going to see a contract. What I would say and what I did say a few days ago is if Doug Armstrong does give a contract, it will be to Troy Brower yep. over Jamie McGinn. And Alex, to me, uh, and this is no disrespect to Jamie McGinn, but maybe more respect to what, Tro- what Troy Brower looks like, I just think a conditioning Troy Browers right there. I think he looks in better shape than he was when he was here back in 2016. He looks thin. He looks like he's skating very well. You know, Jamie Begin. sometimes players when they get away from the game, just a little bit. It's amazing how much faster the game feels when you come back and it takes a little while to get going. So from a conditioning standpoint, I can honestly maybe see that Doug Armstrong might sign this guy. And I think he'd be a perfect fit for the fact that Alexander Steen is still on the shelf. And with these, with these high ankle sprains, man, yes, he will be back hopefully soon. But even when you're back, You don't have that same power. You don't have that same fight and battle level, especially in corners. So Troy Brower, to me, he's an interesting one. Keep an eye on it. We'll see what Doug Armstrong does tomorrow. Well,
0: remember, it was a four-week evaluation for Alexander Steen, and we talked about when the injury happened, happened. Joe, this could be six, seven, eight weeks, depending on what that high ankle sprain looks like. And here's the other factor in it you got to make a decision soon because you only have one extra forward right now, mm-hmm. Jacob De La Rose. And if Sammy Blay, he's day-to-day, according to Craig Ruby today, of course, that hit that he took in the second period last night, uh, left the game, came back, you want to have that extra body, especially for the road trip that comes up next week for this team. But I tell you what, Joe, I was in the locker room, or we were in the locker room today, and Brower was sitting in between Koston and McEachern when mm-hmm. they both came off the ice, and they were all sitting there talking about a play that they were practicing. That's what I think... Doug Armstrong was hoping Troy Brower could accomplish by being a part of this team
1: well absolutely I mean that's the the main reason why you have him here he's not going to blow you away and score 20 goals this year he's not a power play guy he's not going to run the half well on on the first line uh, by any means and Troy Brower is going to be there to be a bottom six guy probably more of a bottom three guy but he's a player that young guys are going to gravitate towards young guys are going to pick the brain on hey what do you see here what do you think about this and and Troy Brower is the personality where he's not a quiet veteran he's very vocal he's outspoken where i bet you he probably grabbed those guys and just started talking about strategy and and he's a good teammate he's a good team player we've seen when you lose players like joel edmondson and pat maroon how sometimes it can have effect on the locker room and and to me alex and being around this room and talking to those players I think they really miss Pat Maroon. I think they yeah. miss his personality. I think they miss him in the locker room, on the bench, his liveliness, his excitement when things are down, his excitement when the chips are down, his excitement when things are up, his chirping ability, of the team's <laughs> bench. Troy Brower can do all those things, and Troy Brower can fight. He's going to go out there. He can protect some of these young guys, and and right now they don't really have that insurance policy, in my opinion, other than Robert Bortuzzo, because Braden Shen, as tough as he is, he's a top-line center. He's not going to be fighting all that much. So Troy Brower, to me, it makes a lot of sense. It really just comes down to what uh, and how Doug Armstrong uh, foresees the the Steen injury, the Tarasenko injury, and, and can he make it work? Well, and
0: again, that window ends tomorrow for Troy Brower, the 10 days, but he can go beyond that, Doug Armstrong said. Basically, it's just his per diem, his stay. He's not going to be getting any extra money while he's here with the St. Louis Blues. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. This is This Week in Hockey. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we haven't even mentioned about the Pat Maroon ceremony yesterday and the Hockey Hall of Fame ceremony was earlier this week. Think to 2020 and what some of the induction players could be or players could be inducted look like, and then I want you to think of the NHL today, five players that you feel like could be Hall of Famers. Joey and I will touch on that next here on your Home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Back in on this week in hockey here on a Wednesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Blues back in action tomorrow night against the Calgary Flames, the vintage jersey night, those old-school red, blue, yellow, white jerseys that the— Blue note will be wearing on the ice and Ken Wilson from the nineties. Everyone's oh baby broadcaster is going to join us coming up at about six 15 tonight. But Joe, uh, we talked about this past week and we talked about the game against Tampa Bay. And we didn't even mention uh, the on ice ceremony that took place before puck drop. And that was Pat Maroon. I got emotional. I know you probably got emotional as well. Not only, because of the St. Louis native, but also just remembering what he did to help the team win a Stanley Cup.
1: Wow, it was it was terrific. You know, I got a kick out of the fans as well. Pat Maroon served two penalties last night. Yeah. One was a benchmark, I think one was too many men or something like that. But they, the Tom Calhoun, you know, you know serving the penalty, Pat Maroon, everyone went nuts. <laughs> Standing ovation. <Like, laughs> crazy, you know, <laughs> just for Patty. And, you know, I thought the Blues. Uh, handled it perfectly. I thought they handled it with class and professionalism. That's the way you do it for a player like Pat. You know, I, I think that they they maybe offered the ring to Michael Delzado in the locker room mm-hmm. before when the Anaheim Ducks were in town the, the game before that. And But for Pat, uh, for being from St. Louis, what he meant to that team, uh, maybe arguably one of the biggest goals in Blues history to send the Blues to the Western Conference final there against the Dallas Stars. All those things, you add it all up, you, you put it in a big bundle and and that's what Pat Maroon was and what he's meant to this city. And and not only that, but this team I was I thought was awesome. He goes out. He skates up to Doug Armstrong right before he kind of crosses that red line there. He kind of looks at the bench and he kind of gives him yep. uh, you know, kind of a, a little ha- hat tap, I guess whatever yeah. you want to call it, like his fingers, um, right to him right there, which I thought was just a, a really cool moment as, you know, the history of what they did on that team. And, you know, Patty, to me, Alex, last year for St. Louis Blues... You could sum up his whole career like that. Rough start, um, you know, do you get rid of this guy? Do you trade him? Do you send him down? Do you put him on waivers? What do you do with him? He's not playing up to par. Something's not right. And Pat just stuck with it, stuck with it, and stuck with it. And finally, around January, he found a great line he, he just gelled with and Tyler Bozak and Robert Thomas, and the rest is history Without Pat Maroon, I don't know if the Blues get out of the first round. I don't think they get out of the second round. Versus Winnipeg and Dallas, that third line was spectacular. Uh, you know, Pat's whole career, growing up, I grew up with him in St. Louis. He was an Oakville guy. I was South County as well. Never, never a fast guy. Never overly highly skilled. I mean, he had good hands, but he was always slow, uh, a bit lazy at times in his career. And he would even say that to you. And, and he's a player that was always towards the bottom of every team. But he always kept just climbing. And you look at Pat's career and and how did it happen that way? He's just a player that just kind of kept sticking with it. A lot of times uh, players would... You know get agitated by coaches maybe they they'd have a sour you know sour spot about a different teammate or i'm getting screwed here or this guy doesn't like me or i hate this team or just making every excuse up in the world pat was never like that yes he dealt with those things but he always just kept putting one foot after another and over time his persistence just proved to be true as he he did a pretty incredible thing here in st louis last year and it was just a wonderful night i definitely was getting some goosebumps up there as well
0: who was more influential growing up with pat maroon or cam jansen
1: you know what? For me, I, I got to give a love, a little bit of love to Cam. Cam was older than me. Got more
0: got in more trouble with
1: Cam. I got in more trouble, but, you know, <laughs> I, and I always say this about Cam. As, as crazy as he was, you know, like we, we always mentioned, I'm an 85 birthday. He's an 84. My brother Charlie was an 84. So my parents said, hey, if you want to play hockey on the AAA level, you got to play up with your brother because we can't keep doing all this traveling. I said, all right, mom and dad. So I played up a year with Cam, and and he just really looked out after me. My brother and I, Charlie, we were almost best friends. And so he was looking out for me. Cam Jansen was looking out for me. And and you talk. about about a loyal guy. Uh, Cam is, you put him at the very top of the list. If I I was walking out of here tonight, Alex, and I got jumped and I had one phone call about who's going to get my back, I'd probably call Cam, like in a heartbeat. And he would I'd call Cam there. too. He'd be there in 10 minutes. I mean, that's just how loyal this guy is, and he's been like that since I was a kid. So for me, Cam Jansen has always been uh, just a very loyal guy.
0: Well, and it's so much fun to talk about the St. Louis guys and the influence they've had on St. Louis and hockey, and of course you're one of those guys, Joe Vitale. So another topic I wanted to dive into is the Hockey Hall of Fame. The induction ceremony for 2019 was earlier this week. Uh, Sergei Zuboff, Haley Wickenheiser, Jim Rutherford, uh, Guy Carboneau, a former St. Louis Blue, all headed into the Hockey Hall. Of Fame. 2020, some prospective names have come out. Jerome Ginla, Marion host I know Shane Doan is still on the list, mm-hmm. your former teammate. But it got me thinking, Joe, and, and I thought this would be a fun topic to, to to dive into. In the NHL today, I feel like there are some players that are still active that are going to be Hall of Famers. And when you and I were talking this afternoon of how we would do this segment, and I think we do it a five and three. There's five guys that we for sure feel like will be in the Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. and there's three that are on the fence.
1: Let's go back and forth. You go first.
0: Okay, me first. So Alex Ovechkin, to me, no doubt a Hall of Famer.
1: Shoe in I mean, he's a shoe in without winning the Cup. Right. Alex, he may, and I know it sounds crazy, he may beat Wayne Gretzky's record for getting the most goals. I, I think mean, he will. He, he, he could get there, theoretically. I mean, I think I, I did the math with Curbs once. I think if he plays like six or seven more years and gets like at least 40 goals, it's something like that. It's very doable. Now, if he stays healthy, that's the biggest thing. But Alex Ovechkin, even before he wins the Cup, he's a shoe in Another shoe in easy one, Sidney Crosby. Of
0: course. Three your, Cups. Your teammate. Yeah, that's thats happening, no doubt. No doubt
1: Moving on, you know. yeah,
0: Evgeny Malkin. Evgeny
1: Malkin, same team, top
0: 100 player of all time. When they did that list, You've
1: gotta go. I, you know, I'm gonna go instead of a player. How about a team? I, I'm gonna go. I think the the team with the most current Hall of Famers has gotta be the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, I mean, tell me one guy on the team that is, uh, these four guys that are not uh, Keith Seabrook, Taves, and Kane, or any of those guys. Not the only one
0: I'm cute. The one I would put on the fence would be Seabrook. Seabrook. Yeah, I agree. because. Keith, no question, is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Kane, no question, a Hall of Famer. And even though Taves' his points aren't relatable to Kane's, mm-hmm. I think he's still a Hall of Famer for what he's done in the cup history that he has.
1: All right, I agree. I cheated there. That. So that's one team. now. That's you fine. Well, you got you,
0: well, we had three there and then one on the fence, and we've got a total of six right now. Okay, So uh, six of the ten total. I'll go another one. Ajay Kopitar. Really? I think so. The captain okay. of the LA Kings, much like Jonathan Taves... You, the points may not be there, but if you look at the Selkie trophies that he's won, if you look at where his points rank and the cups that he's won as the captain or an alternate captain for the L.A. Kings, I think there's no question that Andrzej Kopitar is in the, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame at the end of his career. You
1: know what? That's actually a pretty good call. I mean, he's got over 1,000 games right now. I'm looking. He's got 910 points with 1,024 games, all the cups, captain of the L.A. Kings. Yeah, you know, that. That's you know you forget about those California teams. I don't know why, but another Californian guy you you can't forget about. To me, he never won a championship, but he's got the best beard in hockey, Joe Thornton.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to put him in there. He
1: is the 14th player to reach the 1,500-game milestone. Uh, Shane Doan, also one of those players, which we can get into in a second. But uh, Joe Thornton never won a championship, but what he's meant— to the the sport of hockey through the Bruins and the San Jose Sharks. I mean, we're talking about almost 20 years now, yeah. maybe a little bit over. Uh, you know, 1,500-plus games. I think if you get 1,500-plus games, you should call yeah.
0: If you last that long in the league, you deserve to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame.
1: Right, so then Patrick Marleau you have to throw in there as well, not two.
0: Yeah, I think you have to, Okay, and especially with his points because I think his point totals are close to Joe Thornton's, if not better than Joe Thornton's. I agree. So I got two on Boston's that'll wrap up our 10 for sure, and then we'll get into the the on-the-fences. Zdeno Chara, bingo, and then Patrice Bergeron. Have to go there. I think you have to put Patrice Bergeron in.
1: You, oh, without question. I mean, the Cup, he's got the Selkies. Um, you know, it's, I think arguably the best two-way center throughout the last decade. Yeah. And most consistently, oh, I would yeah. say. Uh, and what he's meant to he his team. He got three Cup finals, one Cup championship. Yes, and yeah. then as uh, he mentioned, Zdeno Chara, I just hope the. The, the ceiling's tall enough for when he goes in because he will go in without question. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll be I, a fun one. I got a little late, sneaky one before wrapping right? okay. uh, How about Pavel Datsuk?
0: You were traded for him.
1: He's playing in Russia. Don't forget about him.
0: And he's still. And th- th- remember, this is the Hockey Hall of Fame. This isn't the National Hockey League Hall of Fame. Yes, this is. So the hockey he's Hall still fame. playing. So yeah, I think Pavel Datsuk is one of those. Plus, again, another Selke winner. The cups that he won when he was with the Detroit Red Wings. So I got two that are on the fence. Tell me
1: what you think. Okay, they're both goaltenders. Yeah. Henrik Lundqvist, and Jonathan Quick. Ooh, Jonathan Quick to me does not get in. Really? Henrik Lundqvist. I actually made a note of that here, uh, Alex, as we were kind of doing this thing. What's interesting about Henrik Lundqvist, follow me here. He's got 453 wins. Guess who has 454 wins who is not in the Hall of Fame yet?
0: Curtis Joseph. Curtis Joseph. Who should be in the Hall of Fame. But
1: he's not. I know. He's not. He's fifth all-time on wins, sixth all-time in games played, and he is a goaltender. That is not in the Hall of Fame.
0: And you know what? I feel like they judge it by Stanley Cup wins because mm-hmm. Grant Fuhr has lesser numbers than what Henrik Lundqvist has in yeah. terms of games played, wins, save percentage, and goals against. But he has all of those Stanley Cup championships.
1: Yeah, and C- Curtis Joseph never played consistently for a premier team. And maybe no. that's what he's heard of. But, you know, Henrik Lundqvist... He's never won a championship either. Yeah, exactly, and I think
0: that's what may hold him out.
1: He's made a couple finals, though.
0: But he's on the fence with that. And I looked at Jonathan Quick. So, pecarine do you feel like he's in? No? Nope, not right now. Jonathan Quick's three years younger than pecarine and he has... Better numbers than Renee and Lundqvist.
1: Yeah, well, I think Jonathan Quick's problem from he- here moving forward is if he sticks with L.A. Yeah. through a rebuild, his numbers could drop significantly. I think you got to do
0: like what Fehr did, where you go to another team and yeah. you go find success there. If
1: he bounces around a little bit, maybe wins another cup, starts getting some more wins racked up, then maybe. Yeah. I just don't know if I don't know if any goal in the league right now is more deserving of the Hall of Fame than Henrik Lundqvist. No, I think he's the only one. He's the guy, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, we didn't even mention any St. Louis Blues, but that'll be for another time because I think there's a couple players on a St. Louis Blues roster that could be Hall of Fames at the end of their career. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. It's time to talk a little 90s St. Louis Blues. Oh, baby. Ken Wilson joins Joey and I next on This Week in Hockey. A little nostalgia 90s night tomorrow in Enterprise Center. Welcome back into This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you as the Blues celebrate their 90s heritage tomorrow night against the Calgary Flames. And we thought, who better to talk to than to relive both Joey and mine's childhood where we grew up loving the sport of hockey, and that's the 90s. And it's the man who called the 90s in St. Louis, Joe, Ken Wilson. Ken, it is a pleasure to talk to you tonight, sir. How are you?
2: Alex, I couldn't be better. And uh, I am truly vintage, so I am a good person to talk to. and It's exciting to hear some of those replays. I think for some reason, uh, much of my career has been attached to, here comes Day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, Ken, uh, I about fangirled when the Blues put together that uh, video package at the preseason where they debuted the vintage jersey that the team will be wearing for three times this season. And, you know, I thought they were just going to pull a Ken Wilson highlight, but the next thing I know, I got Ken Wilson saying Alex Petrangelo's name. It was an incredible promo that the Blues put together.
2: Yeah, I did. I did. They sent me something—a little thirty-second clip—and I, I did see that. And of course, I'm aware uh, of their marketing program because they had me do a few things, which I was happy to do. And as they say, happy to be remembered.
1: Ken Joe Vitale here. You, you know, I know you don't remember this, but you know, between Blues games in February, you would always, every now and then, announce the Mid States High School Hockey State Championship game where you did my game freshman year, I still have the VHS where you and I believe Jack Bean called the game. We won it 7 to nothing in Viani. So I first of all had to tell you, thank you for that. And my second thing for you, Ken, is the oh baby. I mean, where did this whole thing develop?
2: Uh, the question, Joey, much to your surprise, I'm sure, just kidding, uh, has been asked a few times. <laughs> I used it uh, by accident in a few games. It wasn't something I did at home or anywhere else, and I was never one to want to concoct sayings, if you you know know what I'm saying in terms of broadcasting. But I said it a few times, and my wife said, I heard that, I heard that, old oh, baby, that was kind of interesting, what do you think? And I said, I don't want to do it. And uh, she said, I think you ought to do it once in a while. So she gave me the permission, I did it a few times, and people seemed to like it, and it seemed to be a nice exclamation for times when you know you were almost uh, where the roof was going to go off so to speak and uh, you know I think people liked it some people complained I used it too often others said you don't use it enough but uh, I don't regret it now looking back I think it was kind of fun and it became part of Blues history
1: well plenty of critics out there Ken, as we all know Emma Chris Kerber my play-by-play partner here now on the radio side of things Ken. You know, he always said one thing about you. He's brought this up three or four times, and he said that he sat down with you once, and I think you guys did a 45-minute interview, and you were talking the game or hockey, and, and you did not throw in one uh or um throughout the entire interview. He said you're the only guy he's ever seen in radio or television who had that ability not to do that. I guess my question for you as a broadcaster to a broadcaster, how, how did you learn to speak so well on the radio and on television?
2: Um, well uh,
1: <laughs> Great, I you did it Joe You're getting rusty I, think, I
2: don't think that, that uh, Chris is as accurate as it sounds, it sounds like one of those Paul Bunyan stories <laughs> I, When I hear myself talk to people if I happen to have to hear it back I'm always embarrassed by what they call vocalized pauses, uh, that's what they are you, have, you pause and You make a sound, so it's a vocalized pause. It's not a wonderful thing to do, but I think I do it quite a bit, as a matter of fact, so I'm a little bit surprised to uh, hear that story. and uh, I don't think there's any secret or any training to be able to speak. Uh, I've never thought I had a very good vocabulary. In fact, I know I don't. People have said, oh, you have such a great vocabulary. I just laugh. I I do not have... a good vocabulary. I don't use big words on the air. I don't use big words off the air. And when I hear a big word, I have to look it up. So I know that's not true, but uh, I I take it as a compliment and uh, I, I deny it. But Let's go with it for the time being.
0: Again, we're talking with one of the all-time greats in broadcasting here in St. Louis, Ken Wilson, here on This Week in Hockey as we're flashing back to the 90s as the Blues put on those 90s jerseys tomorrow night against the Calgary Flames. And, Ken, looking back in your time in St. Louis, you called so many memorable games in the 90s, of course, that uh, Curtis Joseph fight, as you mentioned, the Pierre Turgeon game winner against the Phoenix Coyotes in the playoffs. Do you have a moment from the 90s that sticks out to you as your favorite?
2: You know, I don't really, and, and I, I, it's hard to ever say, do you have a, a favorite game that you broadcast or a favorite broadcast? I just remember the experience. I remember what it was like. I'm not very good at remembering specific games. You know, I remember America West Arena, goal to our right, and a big, big, big playoff game. Obviously, if you go back to the 80s, I remember the Wickenheiser goal mm-hmm. and the Monday Night Miracle. But to get down to specific games, I think I did about 1,600 uh, NHL games. And, uh, you know, I remember the game in the 90s when Mike Keenan was coaching and we had the <laughs> Steve Eiserman shot from just inside the blue line uh, go over John Casey's shoulder and double overtime to end the season uh, when we could have uh, moved on to I, – I, I believe it was the, you know, I don't, know, I'm not even sure if it was the finals, but we needed that game, obviously game seven and double overtime. That's probably one of the games I remember uh, more than any game, and uh, that was in the '90s. So, unfortunately, that was a game of disappointment. But <laughs> as I like to say, better to be there to lose and not to have been
1: there at all. Yeah, Ken, you know, I I think I'm still cleaning up my tears from when that goal (laughs) went past John Casey, who was actually my favorite goaltender of all time. Ken, the jerseys, the fans will revisit tomorrow night at the Enterprise Center. Uh, Do you remember when they first came out, and and maybe you do or you don't, but uh, what was it like, not only that, the jerseys, but also seeing Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player of all time, wearing a blue note and you calling his name?
2: Well, I do remember distinctly when those jerseys were revealed. Um, I think there was mixed reaction, but I don't think there was uh, much negative reaction. I don't think a lot of people were ecstatic. Uh, I remember Jack Quinn was president of the club at that time, and they wanted to do something different. And it made sense. The logic was there. Uh, you know, was it great? Did it catch on? Did everybody love it? Uh, you know, I think it's more of a uh-huh, sure, okay, but i do I do remember it, and it didn't last didn't last very long. I don't think we wore it, but for a few seasons as I recall
0: Ken of course, uh blues making history this past season, and you spending so many years covering the St. Louis Blues and calling their games uh what was that like seeing the blues hoist the Stanley Cup and breaking that uh long franchise drought?
2: Well, I was thrilled. Uh, I, I was thrilled. I mean, I followed it. I paid attention. I obviously, uh, watched the games. Uh, you know, it was, it was exciting. And I, I was thrilled, you know, I, I don't care much about myself. I was there and, you know, I bleed blue and I'm a blues guy. I knew it was going to happen sooner or later, but you know, for me, it's for the fans. I mean, you know, gee whiz, that's a long time to go. And when you're a fan, it's so exciting to be involved in something like that. So so I, I really cared about the fans and that they've had that experience. And, you know, I, I realized for the fellows that were there, the fellows that had played, and we had so many great players over the years and front office people and people that, you know, devoted a good part of their life to the organization and the community, I mean, I feel just terrific for all of those people to have had that experience. And, you know, in, in a sense, I had the experience too, and I'd never been, uh, with a Stanley Cup winner, so I'm going to let a little of it rub off on my elbow. Uh, having Gretzky there was something special. Uh, Wayne is something special. What what I could never believe about Wayne is he knew everybody. You know, I, I had obviously talked to Wayne, and I had when he was with the Oilers and when he was with the Kings, but, you know, not extensively by any means. Maybe, a, you know, 30 seconds or a high, and, you know, I had no idea. You know, if he had any idea who the world in the world I was, but gee whiz, every time I'd see him, he'd call me by my name. I was almost embarrassed, but he was, uh, you know, always has been a terrific ambassador. And just the fact that he played with the Blues and wore that 90s now vintage jersey uh, is is exciting. I'm I'm glad that, that he stopped in St. Louis along his uh, great, great career.
0: Well, Ken, I wish we had a three-hour show so I could continue the conversation. Thank you so much for taking some time out this evening and joining us and uh, talking a little 90s hockey with us. It's always fun to catch up with you, and I can guarantee I'll be doing it again soon.
2: Anytime, Alex. I'm always available, and I hope the fans enjoy seeing those 90s jerseys tomorrow night. It should be a lot of fun.
0: There you go. Ken Wilson, thank you so much for hopping on with us tonight. Man, still just nostalgia, Joe. Every time I hear his voice,
1: I, I'm sure Ken Wilson would love nothing more, Alex, than to speak hockey with us for three I know. straight hours. No, <laughs> not at all.
0: Not after calling 1600 NHL games, 600. right? Can you imagine
1: 1600, Joe? You're only about what a hundred something in. You know what? It's so funny hearing his voice, oh. though. Like. Like it just it brings me back. Doesn't yep. it just bring you it back does. to the ties and the and the terrible glasses and the terrible <laughs> style when you see them start a game? And Bernie and, Federico's mustache. Oh, uh, the Bernie Federico mustache. And it's just amazing, you know, how we can eat a cheeseburger and it can remind us of your childhood. Yep. Or you hear a Christmas song or watch a Christmas movie, but just a voice, just a man's voice, just yep. trans. Horseshoe to a completely different time in your life. Uh, Ken Wilson, one of the best.
0: No doubt about it. We'll take our final break on This Week in Hockey. What's up with that comes your way next on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, this is my favorite segment of the show. Get the chance to look at some of the odd moments in a week in the National Hockey League. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale back with you. Final time with This Week in Hockey, and then it's Lou Billikens basketball coming your way. It's Bob Ramsey and Earl Austin Jr. standing by Joe, let's start with the big news today. What's up with the Toronto Maple Leafs?
1: Uh, Lots up with that.
0: (laughs) They decide that their $20 million a year head coach, or whatever he's getting paid, just can't get the job done. So Mike Babcock, here's the door.
1: Yeah, that's it. Sheldon Keefe's going to be taking over. He's the Toronto Marlies coach in the American Hockey League. He's had a lot of success down there. and. I'm going to miss old Mike Babcock in the white and blue. You know one thing about him, he will find uh, work oh, yeah. very very quickly. And and he's not a guy that I can see just riding this contract off into the sunset and after a few years then eh, maybe I'll get back into coaching. He's a he's a go-getter. He's always been that way in the National Hockey League. So, you know there are GMs. There, there's probably a few coaches out there that are safe, but I don't I can't think of many coaches that are not safe right now as Mike Babcock had just hit the market. So his phone's probably going to be blown up. Alex, uh, a situation in Toronto that, uh, quite frankly, I'm talking to one of the players today without mentioning names, but he kind of gave me some intel about that team. Listen, they have three guys that are uh, some of the highest paid players in the National Hockey League with Austin Matthews, uh, Tavares, uh, now you got Mitch Marner, and then of all people, so it's like, you know, you look at all those players right there, Nylander, another one, so four. Yep. Yeah. you got four dynamite players that are making $40 million and then you got to expect to win with four guys. Well, that's not how the league works. Look at the St. Louis Blues last year. They, they don't have a lot of guys over that 6 $7 million mark. They built this team of having a lot of great players no elite players like a Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and they win a Stanley Cup. So I think that, you know, you look at Mike Shanahan and, and all these different players, and what's kind of going on there. And I just I feel like they've they've built this team the wrong way, and they didn't really set up Mike Babcock for a lot of success. No, they opinion.
0: didn't. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who, uh, who fires their coach to bring in Mike Babcock to the coach. There's another one, Joe. What's up with uh, the NHL suspending Garrett Hathaway of the Capitals? I don't know if you saw this game. He and a couple of players from the Anaheim Ducks got into it, but Good Branson was the one that it would happen to. And in the middle of the fisticuffs, Hathaway decides to hawk a loogie right into Good Branson's face, and the NHL responds with a three game suspension.
1: Well, you, you see why he did it. It wasn't a typical tie up. Uh, Good Branson, while the refs were in there, but Branson's all tied up with the refs and it looks like it was over. He kind of gave one quick little right jab. Of course, Hathaway did not like that. <laughs> so he decided to hawk a big one uh, right at it. Kind of reminds me of that dumb and darn show. Yes. Like, oh, a guy hawked my burger. <laughs> I mean, that is that is the magnitude of that loogie. That was no spit. That was a loogie. That was a heavy loogie. That was heavy. And then, uh, you know, I thought the league did a good job. Three-game suspension. I, I would have given him 10. I think it's so disrespectful. Uh, there's nothing in the rule book about spitting, but there should be. Uh, this is a player's code. You just... Just don't do certain things. And and certainly, Alex, you can't spit in someone's face.
0: I don't understand how you can get punched in the face and you don't get suspended. You can lick a guy. You don't get suspended. But you hock a loogie and it's three games. Right away.
1: Well, what did Alex Burroughs get when he bit Patrice Bergeron? Remember that? Oh, I thought st- he got like 15 games for that. Maybe he did. It yeah. was a lot for that one. And everyone was kind of making fun of him, putting fingers in his face the rest <laughs> of the series. That was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I would rather get suckered right in the nose by a fist oh than God. get spit in the face. Like oh. the spit, That is so disrespectful. Oh. Like That is the worst.
0: I would go into the Incredible Hulk if someone, ho- especially that <laughs> size of a loogie. I go all green. Oh, yeah. You go that real Lugi green. That loogie was green. That loogie was green. That loogie had some snot backed up into it. The <laughs> cat all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us on This Week in Hockey. Again, we'll be with you next Tuesday because there's a game on Wednesday and Thanksgiving, of course, Thursday. Joey and I will have two hours of This Week in Hockey, and then we'll be with you Wednesdays all the way through the rest of the season. Joe, can't wait for uh, tomorrow and can't wait for Saturday, buddy.
1: Alex, I am loving these shows. Thanks for everything, buddy. I can't wait for tomorrow, and I really can't wait for Saturday as you're going to be on the play-by-play with Joey Broadcast
0: Dangerous. Two paisans talking hockey once again. Oh,
1: we're going to get after it's it going to be fun. Let's go.
0: There we go. Joe Vitale. Big thank you to Dan Betlock, Ken Wilson, Paisley, who we like to call him running the board. Slew Basketball comes your way next on 101 ESPN.